Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is a Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we welcome back to the show David Omen of the Omen House, which is sometimes known as the Mount Everest of Haunted Houses. Uh, David is a producer, creator, co-writer of the movie House at the End of the Drive, and also the author of Ghosts of Ciela Drive, The Afterlife of Sharon Tate and the Spirits of the Omen House. And he's a native of L.A., uh, and his home has been featured on many, many paranormal shows, if you've not seen our other shows with him. But we're excited to have him back to catch up with him and see what he's been up to and where things are going at the house. Before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and thank you again so much for you guys supporting the show. Um, we keep growing our subscribers. It makes us super happy to have you. Um, if you haven't subscribed yet, you know, just take a second and click the button, and it, it sure helps us out. Um, we've got all kinds of great shows coming up in August. Uh, next week, we have our good friend Jackie Smith, who is the founder of Coventry Creations, who make those absolutely incredibly beautiful spell candles on. And she's going to be talking about how to combine astrology with candle magic to make it a little more uh, potent. Um, and so we're, we're really looking forward to that. The uh, second show in August will be Krista and I doing a show on Crowley's influential book on the tarot, The Book of Thoth. And so all you tarot enthusiasts want to join us for that, and we'll try and get into some of that. And it's a, it's a fabulous book, a little challenging to wrap your head around, but as with Crowley, that tends to be the case. But we'll try and get through some of our favorite parts of it. Um, and then our, our last guest in August will be Humberto Braga, our good friend, coming back. And he's going to be talking about how to process and deal with difficult emotions. And given the pandemic and some of the stresses we're going through, I think that that's a very timely subject. And he's a, always a very fascinating guest. So join us for that as well. Um, get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H all spelled out. And while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter. We do a quarterly newsletter where we're going to give some links to some of our favorite episodes, some of the other cool stuff we find online. Um, and buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It really helps us a little bit to cover our production costs. So uh, if you can afford to kick in a couple of dollars, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, David and I were talking earlier about how us Canadians love coffee. So, so buy us a coffee. Um, and if you can't afford it, please join us anyway. We love doing the show for you guys. And uh, we're, we're super happy to be here and super happy that you guys are entertained by it. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it back to Krista and have a great show, guys. Great. Thanks, Michael. And welcome, David. Uh, thanks for having me back, Krista. It's good to be back on the show. Oh, great. And, and first, before we get started, we want to know, we want to know how you've been doing in the pandemic. Uh, honestly, life really hasn't changed much for me. I wasn't going out much before the <laughs> pandemic. And uh, I said, God, I've been prepping for this all my life, or at least in this <laughs> house. It was kind of funny. It was like going, so I get to stay home. 
That's true. Okay. There are some people that have more of like that hermit life or they stay home naturally anyway, so it's a little easier on them. Well, we're glad you're safe and healthy and we're happy to have you back on the show. I think the last time you were on was a, about seven months ago or so. So first of all, let's catch up a little bit with what's been going on since then. Uh, nothing. <laughs> well, you still Thank been... Thank you for time. Uh, khakis? You've been sort of doing some paranormal, like uh, recording, and have you noticed any particularly um, strong activity during this time up until now? Um, honestly, for the first couple of months, no, because no one was coming here. Um, recently, is probably the past three weeks, I've had people or friends come to visit. Uh, and when they come to visit, I've noticed that the house starts to, um, I can't say the house because it's not, that's, it's still an inanimate object. But the spirits of the house, let me rephrase that, um, have become much more active when people pop up and visit. And I think that's because over the past, um, up to about uh, Jan February was the last time we did a paranormal investigation here with a, a paranormal team that came in and rented the house out and was doing things like that. Um, the tours have obviously ceased, but um, obviously due to COVID, but the idea was that we had done the last event here was right right on the heels of COVID and the lockdown. And it was crazy because there was only like six people here. And it was with this um, group of individuals who were doing this investigation. It was crazy. And stuff happened then. And since then, it's been kind of more or less quiet. Since in the past three weeks, we've recorded stuff that's just crazy. Um, my friend John Doherty was here on the 17th. He was upstairs in the kitchen by himself, and he heard this voice say, hi, John, in a woman's voice. And he yells down, he goes, David, is there anybody here besides us? Is there a woman here? It's like, and he goes, I heard a woman say my name. Wow. And what was funny is, is we looked at the cameras, and on all three cameras on the top floor, right near the dining room, you hear this woman's voice say, hi, John. And I don't know where, where it came from, but it was clear as a bell. And I said, great. I said, when we do my live event, because we're going to do a live streaming event here with a ghost investigation and a seance, I'm saving all this accumulated footage over the past two weeks. And I'm going to pull all of the stuff that happens from now till the event and going to keep it fresh and pristine with no one seeing it. And we've got some crazy footage that I've captured. And we're going to air it on that night live. Oh, that, that's going to be really great. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, for sure. We're going to have some time with that. One uh, thing I want to say, we had, I had this experience about two weeks ago. I was up about 10 minutes to three. And I was upstairs in the kitchen. I was making something to eat. Reg, uh, Fiona was sitting on the, on the sofa chair and Reggie was on the sofa. And I heard this most insane sound. And I can't describe it, but the closest I can describe it to you as, and it was recorded, was like a giant, um, I want to say like a pipe that was really, really thick steel. Not So the, so the tone that you got was like something, like a gong almost. It had this hollow-esque sound coming up through the middle, and it was deep, and it was loud, and with low frequency with this heavy, like, what the hell was that? And it went boom, boom. And I was like, 
it's 10, 10 to 3 in the morning. What the hell could it possibly? I go out on the balcony. I'm looking around. I then go to the front door and raise them at the front door, walking back. Happened again. So I go down to the cameras and I listen to the top floor cameras. It was clear as a bell. I listen to the cameras on the outside of the house. Not as loud. I listen to the cameras from the center's floor, the, the, the second floor hallway. And it's crazy, different sound, but you can still hear it. I go to the third floor theater room camera where my friends are staying with their five cats and they have three black cats down there. And I'm watching their, their reaction. First of all, the two cats in the room like this, third cat comes out of when it happens the second time. was like, what the hell was that? And they were all like freaked out. And I was like, I can hear it. It's not outside the house. It's coming from somewhere inside the house. And my friend was sound asleep. I said, hey, did you hear that? I said, did the two of you hear anything at like 10 to 3? And they go, we were passed out. It's like, and I showed them the footage. And it goes, no way. Wow. It was just crazy. So I'm going to air that, which was just never before in 18 years of living here I've ever had heard anything recorded or not recorded ever like that before. It was nuts. That is really amazing. I wonder if maybe the house having a bit of a respite from people is kind of regathering its energy, you know, and it'll be more potent in some ways. And in and, and some regards, I think that is because when I'm thinking about when it when I recorded that incident, I think that was like a week after I was letting friends come over. And I think I had like two sets of friends here before that. And that was it. But it was hauntingly eerie because the dogs even were like this. Reggie's like, well, what the hell is that? He's on the couch going, freaking out. <laughs> yeah, <coughs> animals me. really so, pick things up for sure. Oh, yeah. So I think that the anniversary is coming up a week from Friday night is the actual day of the week anniversary that took place. When the murder took place with the anniversary on the date is on Saturday. So... On those two nights, I'm going to be super interested to see what happens. So that is for um, people that don't know, that's August 8th and 9th, correct? Yeah. And this is the 51st anniversary, right? Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what I, what I was thinking about when I was preparing for the show, I was kind of curious as to some of your experiences with, I know people aren't coming up as much, but I was. Um, yes, they are. Well, there's still people there's driving still up. I, oh, to come for the anniversary. They still are, even after last year, there's still people interested. Oh, there are people driving up. There's probably about 20 cars a day where it used to be 50 cars a day. It started out at about 100 cars a day. Then it finally went down to like 75 cars. Now we're probably about 20 to 25 cars a day, all hours of the day and night from all across the country. We saw my friend, my friend Ashton said, I saw two New Jersey plates. I saw some Tennessee plates. I saw some Florida plates. I saw some Texas plates. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's happening. It's summer and people are off their lockdown. So they're, you know, that's what's happening. People are leaving their home states and flooding across the country to get out. Sure. And instead so doing it, you know, unbeknownst to them, some of them are spreading asymptomatic, you know, COVID. So it's unfortunate, but that's what's yeah. happening. So, I mean, we're seeing people drive up. Wow. I am it's surprised about crazy. that. Crazy. Wow. I so I can't imagine the, the anniversary will be nuts. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that that weekend we will probably see a huge spike in people coming out. I'll tell you two reasons why. Quentin's movie is going to probably be re-released for that, you know, with a four-hour version. And of course, you've got the six-part special docu-series on epics about American myth, man's, you know, Elder Skelter. 
which is going to, which is obviously after it aired on Sunday night, yesterday, Monday, I saw a lot of cars coming up here. Mm. And since it's six nights running, you're going to see lots of people driving up here and seeing, looking for that place. It's going to be nuts. Yeah, I guess so. I guess COVID doesn't stop anything anyway. So it doesn't even stop people from wearing masks. So, (laughs) I mean, not wearing masks, they aren't wearing masks. So, um, one of the things we were talking about before the show is just how well your home is set up technically, probably more unusual than most people. And why don't you share a little bit about the history of how you set it up that way and what it actually means to when we, we say it's technically, you know, different from most places and has a lot going on? Um, well, what you're speaking of is the closed-circuit television camera system that I have in the house. Um, here, one second. Let's see if I can grab one of the little sure. cameras and show you. Yeah, here we go. All right. So this is an example of one of the cameras. It's obviously not connected, but this is it. It's a three megapixel H 1080p HD with infrared here camera, and it also has a very very high intensity microphone right here. That's what these little holes are. You can see. And I think there are 18, I did 18 of these cameras throughout the entire house. And they're recording 24 seven. Um, this came about, whoa, I'm sorry. I just knocked my camera stand over. Um, this came about because I had done paranormal investigation tours here in the past during the, uh, the time after the show was on Ghost Adventures. And we were doing tours here. And I said, you know, every time they're here setting up, it takes an hour to two hours to lay out all the wiring through the house and then set the cameras up on the tripods. And these were at the time standard definition cameras. They were called bullet cameras. They didn't have any audio on them. Hmm. Pretty rudimentary, basic stuff. Um, and then I said, you know something, I have enough stuff that's happening here when the team is not here, when they're not investigating. And it's making me look like, you know, I want to be able to record this stuff because I'm having very substantial incidents occur during my own stay here by myself. And I said, you know, what if I did invest a little money in getting some cameras in the house? And I said, okay, let's go do that. So we dropped about $10,000 and put in 18 cameras throughout the house. For the most part, they were wired in the wall and then all hardwired back to a central box that's a switcher, which basically contains all of the cameras in the exterior cameras and records them. And um, for the first six months that I had the system in here, I stayed up till about five in the morning every single day reviewing the footage. And I wasn't even reviewing all of the footage, mind you, Mm -hmm. just a good portion of it. Mm -hmm. And after six months, I said, you know something, this is a no-go. I'm getting no sleep. I don't give a go. (laughs) I said, I'm not a paranormal investigator. I don't have the patience and the deliberate wherewithal to sit there and with the headphones on and listen and to look and to watch. And I said, you know, sing enough. I quit. I'm not going to do the same while I'm burning out. And what I did was is that when people came over and something happened, we either heard something, we saw something, I would write down the time and the room I was in, and I wrote down briefly what took place, and I'd review it on the cameras. Um, To be honest with you, I probably have logged in over a thousand incidents in the past six years since we've had this, 
And what's problematic is, is I, to be honest with you, I've become quite lazy because I used to write down the incidents that mm-hmm. took place in detail. And since that time I've had the cameras, I failed to actually write down the incidents in a log book. And I said, oh, I'll just go through all the videos when I have to. And it's like, oh my God, I have to go through all of these videos and watch them. And now re-remember re- re- what's going on and watch them and write down in detail what took place. Because that's basically what my book, Goes to Cielo Drive, is all about. It's the incidents and the reporting of the incidents here at the house um, over the past 16, well, the first 14 years that I've lived here. Or the first, yeah, first, first 12 years I've lived here. The last eight I haven't gone into writing in because I figured by the time I got to page 240, I said, that's enough. If I'm reading this book as a, as a viewer, I think I've read enough and I've given them just enough to introduction all the way up to a point where I can continue with a second volume where it won't be right. like, this is goddamn war and peace, man. I can't put it down, but <laughs> it's 500 freaking pages. What the hell, man? Yeah, you can always do a volume too, for sure. Yeah, it's a lot easier. So what's been happening here in the house is I've had the craziest things, one most was, I was just say one of the most prominent things is the figurines on top of my 180-gallon aquarium getting knocked over. I think we have over, I've, I've seen, it's happened over a couple hundred times here. And I'm just like, all right, I don't need any more videos to save of this unless it's really spectacular mm-hmm. or interesting and stuff. Um, but we have captured the... Um, anomalies occurring in the house, voices being recorded from parts of the house that no one's in, um, sounds that are just these crazy, as I mentioned, that crazy echoing sound, um, the rim pod going off in a room where no one is by itself for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, just crazy stuff like that. And, oh yeah, bottles of wine getting knocked out of a uh, wine rack on their own. Um, a 10 pound, two foot wide long by one foot wide by one inch, two inch thick piece of butcher block spinning off of a television set Whoa. on its own. Well, that one sounds intense. <laughs> yeah, it freaked the hell out of the kid who was in the room when it happened because he's in the dark. And the, the video is basically capable of capturing stuff in the dark. Well, that that gives the viewer a false sense of understanding because just because the camera's capturing it doesn't mean that the person in that moment, in that scene, in that room is seeing what you're seeing. You have the privilege of having cat's eyes sure. the, as the onlooker. The participant in the scene has no idea. He's in the darkness. And this 10-pound butcher block spins off of the television set and falls onto the ground and blocks the doorway. And he hears this kaboom bang out of nowhere. He goes running, <laughs> running towards the door and tries to open the door up. And as he opens it, it's blocked. He doesn't know what the hell's oh, blocking no. it. He pulls the door open. The wood goes up and he goes running out of the room as he gets out. He's like, oh my God, oh my God. And he comes back like a couple minutes later going, he's showing other people, he's like, this is what just happened to me. And it's like, wow. I mean, that's what's so funny is people don't understand. They're watching it through this infrared spectrum, which the human eye can't see. Sure. And these people that are seeing these incidents take place in a lot of the videos are in the dark. That's a little scarier. Yeah, completely. And it's like you you rig that. It's like, I don't rig anything here. I don't believe in rigging crap. Yeah, you you definitely don't need to anyway. So Michael, I think, has a comment or question. Oh, please. 
Yeah, just a quick question. Our friend Joel is uh, on our live chat, and he was asking about um, electromagnetic spectrum and energy and how that may influence the paranormal. And I know that with David's home in particular, that there are a lot of significant anomalies when it comes to electromagnetic stuff. So maybe David can uh, explain some of that stuff. First, hi, Joel. Thank you for your question. Um, well, as I understand it from my limited um, exposure to uh, Dr. Barry Taff and other people I've researched, um, what Barry said is, is that it's we're talking about electromagnetic frequencies, EMF levels. Um, and in particular, we're talking about natural occurring DC EMF levels, that is direct current. Um, there are two, I'll just give a quick little understanding or little overview of AC and DC. AC stands for alternating current. Um, AC would be what's going through the power lines in your house and the conduit, what's going over the telephone poles, carrying the power poles as they call them, that is alternating current. It does not exist except by man's creation. DC is natural current, meaning static electricity, um, lightning, um, God, what the hell is, battery power is DC energy. Even though it's man-made, it's direct current, meaning it goes from point A to point B with no, just a straight stream of energy. Um, and again, don't quote me on this. I'm not a scientist, but that's my understanding of it. Um, what Dr. Barry Taffet said um, 14, 15 years ago in 2005 when he was here, he said that his meters, which are DC EMF meters, were registering levels in this house that were actually unprecedented in the normal everyday world. He said that it's an anomaly. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, the Earth's magnetic field measured in milligauss is anywhere between three and 500 milligauss positive. And that's the range that is the normal DC EMF level on the Earth. He said in certain places, there are elevated DC EMF levels that occur in where vortexes where he said sometimes when you have earthquake fault lines, and stuff like that, where there's friction of these Earth's magnetic, of the tectonic plates discharging electromagnetic fields. Also, where volcanoes are present, he said lava has a lot of iron in it, and because it does, it's extremely charged, and because it's magnetized as such, it emits a very high EMF level. Well, he measured it on his, let me get this straight, Electromagnetic geomagnetometer, which was a digital device that measures DC EMF levels. At the time, the meters that he had, as he told me, register up to 1999 milligauss positive to 1999 milligauss negative. He goes, that's the range within which this meter can reach. Now he says, in the future, we'll have more advanced equipment and the meters will be able to reach higher levels. I said, okay, fine. He says when he brought his DCMF level out, meter out, the levels in the house that he was registering were about pinning at 2,000 milligauss positive in certain parts and 2,000 milligauss negative in certain parts of the house. And he used to say, this is just not possible. It's not, <laughs> this isn't possible. Goes, it's, it's not, this can't be. I said, what do you mean? He goes, your house is, is right now, we're registering up to four times the Earth's magnetic field positive and up to 10 times the Earth's magnetic field in reverse polarity negative. And I said, what does that mean? He goes, well, I don't know what it means, but I've never seen anything like this except when spirits have manifested in front of us 
and he referenced the um, original entity case in Culver City. Mm -hmm. He said, when the spirit manifests and we snapped a picture of it, one of the famous pictures of that arc of light over her head in the kitchen, the meters spiked to 2000 milligauss. Wow. And then back to normal, it would return. He goes, after being in your house for a year, visiting here for the, over the course of a year, he goes, your house, your house is always elevated at this level. He goes, it never goes to normal. It's always here. And he's theorized. He said, look, my theory is, is that if that's the case and our meters are can't, you know, soon in the future, meters will be able to register higher. You could have anywhere from six to 7,000 milligauss positive to 6,000 6, milligauss negative. You just don't know. And he says, that could be what we could find out. He wanted to turn this place into a... Um, a paranormal field laboratory for researchers to be coming across the globe to come here and to investigate and to do field studies. And I said, Barry, you're not turning my house into a giant guinea pig or lab rat. I live here. Ain't going to happen. And that's where we basically split parts, split, split, split from our uh, association. Right. He also didn't want me to do any TV shows. He thought that it would be just, you know, just terribly... Um, not disrespectful, but disingenuous to the credibility of the house. And I said, well, Barry, I'm not going to sit there and worry about that. That's, that's not that important. You know, if the house is really haunted, let's make sure that it is. I just want to put these here in the, in the background. Sure. So nothing like a little free PR. <laughs> so my point is, is that, well, you guys stop that. Stop moving things. All right. So as I was saying, um, but what happened here is, is he said, I believe that because the house has such extremely elevated EMF levels, it could be the perfect environment for paranormal activity to occur. I said, what do you mean? He said, when these people come in, the spirits that are around them walk into this house, they can manifest really easily and, and derive their energy off of what's here in the house. And I then theorized to him, I said, so it's kind of like, analogy of when you take a reptile from a cold environment, it's awfully sluggish. I said, but you put him in a warm environment, he becomes very active. And I said, that's the analogy I can use to make what's going on. He goes, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. They come from the cold outside. They hit this environment. They can derive their energy off of the ambient energy in the house that's naturally occurring. And I was like, hmm. I said, so the fact that the murders took place down the street has really nothing to do with what's going on here. And it's like, no, because there's a lot of things that are happening. But had the murders not taken place down the street, this place would still be wildly haunted. Right, because of the what you're sitting because on the, energetically. Yeah, elevated EMF levels. That's uh -huh. why Barry said he calls it the Mount Everest of haunted houses and the Disneyland for the dead. And I was like, okay, cool. And because... I didn't really pay much attention. I mean, I've never been afraid of, I was, you know, afraid of spirits and like terrified from any personal um, religious belief background or upbringing. It was like, you know, ghosts are bad. It's like, I never heard that. So I didn't perceive spirits as being harmful and having a, a negative response reaction. So it's a demon or this and that. I would laugh at it saying, oh, it's a demon. Sure. Okay, fine. And from my experiences here, living here now for 18 years, um, I have yet to experience anything negative. And let's be honest, I've learned a lot of things about the paranormal from living here. And I've gone to many places that are quote unquote haunted. 
and places that were quote unquote not haunted, but I knew that they were. And people said, how do you know? I said, I said, something happened on this spot. And they go, how do you know? It's like, because I just heard somebody say something. And they go, how do you know that? I said, well, you're, you know, every place is haunted. And people said, what do you mean? It's like any place people have lived, worked, loved, played, died, um, anything, had the human experience of, it will be a place that those people that were there before us who have passed away will return to the visit because where do you think the old old slang term of, oh, we're going to go visit my old haunts. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought it's, of that. It's, it's the people don't make the association. Instead, yeah. it's been decried and de- demonized and, you know, oh, it's a devil, oh, it's, a devil. You know, it's a demon. It's like, oh, shut the hell up. Go play with your drama toys somewhere else. That's that's a great way to make a, a cottage industry blow up. So you can now sell to taking care of this. To me, from my experiences, no. Um, never once. I've had people that have been hit over the head and stuff, so to speak. But let's be honest here. it's it, Things don't happen in a vacuum. Things didn't happen with the spirits that that person got picked on because, oh, you know, there's a reason why that person got hit upside the head. And that person deserved it because they were disrespecting the spirits in one form or another, and they were asking for it, as the old saying goes. And people like to think of themselves as bigger and badder than anything they know nothing of. And what they don't know of is what they what they're they're toying with is that it's not a demon. You've insulted a spirit of somebody who's no longer alive, and they took offense and said, "You know something? Enough is enough." You, you act like an asshole far too long and you're now going to get a little, you know, karma as they call it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And once in a while, I'll watch a TV show where someone is just being really rude and really like in your face to spirit. And I said, good Lord, this is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, I right. mean, uh, you in a way, I personally feel really honored if a spirit wants to connect with me like I feel it's a special thing because even though you're right it's everywhere I think as human beings we're still learning how to connect to it in a way that's good for everybody yeah I mean people are people that's it and that's it in a nutshell human beings have their frailties and have their moments and have their you know the piccadillas as we used to say and that's what it is. It's people sometimes lose perspective of what it means to be respectful towards these spirits. And I've heard some people say, oh, David disrespects the spirits. He treats them badly. It's like, like hell, I respect the spirits. I don't ask them to do parlor tricks. I don't sit there and chew them out and treat them like, um, like, you know, like crap. I don't do any of that stuff for the spirits here. They do what they want to do. We live in pretty much pretty decent harmony. And and I've never had a problem with them. People that like to behave in a way that's less respectful um, and mock them and do things that are kind of egregious and self-serving. They're the people that get, you know, spanked, as I like to say. <laughs> and that's in people. And then they go, oh, look, I got hurt. I got hurt. It's like one... And I say, so what did you do? What did you do to cause this kind of response? And don't give me, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. You're full of shit. You're an innocent of my ass. You did something totally disparaging and disrespectful. And somebody took you and basically gave you a wallop upside the ass. And that's it. I don't have to go into details of who famously that was, but 
you know, and to make mockery of my home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard somebody named Brandon Alvis two weeks ago on, on, on Paranormal Warehouse get all pissed. About it. He has his, it's like, I've never heard of this guy. And so he says, he's on Ghost Hunters. It's like, yeah, okay. Who knows? Who cares? See, I'm not on a paranormal show. I don't do that stuff. I don't go running around looking for haunted houses so I can put them on television shows. Hey, that's great. That's your gig. Fine. But how dare you? How the hell dare you go and make statements about my house, never having never been here, having never seen this place, having never witnessed any of the videos, having never talked to people that have really been here outside of one person who's you know, name will go unmentioned, but, you know, I kind of said, you know, if that's your only source for your your disparaging commentary and you're on TV, I think you should be a little conscious and careful of what you're saying about somebody who's been around for longer than you've been on TV times 18 Mm -hmm. and who's got a little more credibility than you do by being a tech manager on some TV show. I'm sorry to say it's a little bit, you know, presumptuous. You know, that's why I say I don't play paranormal television shows. I've been on them. Yeah. Okay. So what? I don't, I don't make it make a business of going out ghost hunting and making stories about these places up like some of the people do and then disparaging them. Like I, like it's been done with me. Right. I don't care. doesn't change the truth. doesn't change my story and it won't. So yeah, no, it's it's too bad when people do that and they have no, you know, experience at all and they're just, you know, obviously they're just trying to get some kind of rating or response. Yeah, get attention. Get but attention for it. Off of my house and bad mouthing my house. And I go, okay, whatever, you know. Now let's Again. let's let's talk about um what you're planning for August, because it sounds really interesting for uh, the weekend of August twenty-first and August twenty-second. Well, as I mentioned I'm not doing any more paranormal investigations here open to the public there, you know, the, the ghost tours and stuff through the different companies, they're all, they're done. That's not going to happen. But um, I was approached by one of the, uh, by the company that put on the conjuring house live event here. And um, they came up with some harebrained idea where I was going to be out of the house for four days in a hotel with the dogs and the cats. And I was like, no, that just isn't happening. That, that makes no sense. Considering you had your show, The Conjuring House Live, with the people who just bought the house, who have no connection to the house, who are now exploiting the house to make money on it. And you're telling me, you want me, the only person who's, who's lived in this house for 18 years, who built this house, who's got the relationship with the spirits, you want me to move out for four days. I said, no, no, that ain't happening. And it all fell apart from there. And I was like, well, why do I need you idiots? What, what, what are you providing me with? I'm not really interested in letting another person come in here and do their version of my story in my house. I said, no, I said, not gonna happen. I don't need you. As much as you need me, I'm not interested in that. It does me no service to have somebody else do their story in my house, mm. no more. So I originally was going to do a 24-hour for three days live stream. And then I said, you know, that I can't do. It's just too impossible to pull off. And I said, let's just do eight hours live stream on Friday the 21st and Saturday the 22nd from about 6 p.m. to about uh, 2 2 a.m. And we'll be partnering up with uh, Kings of Horror. Mm. 
and they'll the, their subscribers will get the first hour and a half of the uh, show free through their channel because they pay for it. And then it'll be open to people to get the tickets for it. And it'll basically be $10 for the 16 hours of footage of, of footage of live coverage from here at the house. The first two hours will be interviews, um, looking over the last couple of weeks of footage that we've accumulated that has not been released on YouTube and no one has seen. I haven't put it on Facebook. So this is footage that I'm basically accumulating till we get to those dates and then we'll have it shown on those dates and we'll discuss and we'll view we'll have interviews from a great probably about um five or five six people each night um rick mccallum the harley twins mm. <coughs> excuse me um and some other people that i don't want to make mention of just yet sure because we're doing their interviews um beforehand because they can't make it on the night of but we're going to interview them specifically with the intent of having it air then. So these will be brand new interviews that you'll see never shown before. And then we're going to roll into a ghost investigation from eight in the evening to about 12 midnight. Then we'll be going into an hour long seance and then we'll do an hour's worth of chat room and questions and answers from one to two in the morning. And that will be that. But like I said, the, there'll be interviews from some people, like I've got Lance Hendrickson that we've got lined up, um, talking about the murders and stuff. And I'm going to see who else I can you know, line up, as well as you two will obviously be uh, Zooming in live, sure. since you won't be here. And I think we have Patty Negri and Stefan Brigatti um, and Lily Caron willis who's going to be doing one of the seances one night. And I do believe Patty Negri is going to conduct the seance the other night. So it'll be really fun and it'll be live streaming here from the house and um, tickets will be hopefully available by Saturday, the 1st of August. Mm -hmm. um, so people have three weeks out. Like I said, it'll be fun and interesting and unique. And of course, we'll do a live walkthrough of the house mm -hmm. and the whole entire review of the place. So you guys will all see it. We'll also have the top floor. We'll have the video village where we'll have the six, 18 cameras available for the audience to watch, to see what's going on. Um, it'll be, like I said, it'll be very, very unique investigation type of a tour house, tour of the house. So, and how would they get the tickets? They go to your website? Well, the tickets aren't available yet because we're still finalizing that, but they'll be at theomenhouse.com. When, um, when they're ready. See, what do I got? Oh, here we go. Here you guys can look at this. Here, let me get this out of the way so it's not so bright. Out. So you see okay. theomenhouse.com. And of course, you can go to the web's YouTube channel. What the hell is that? Oh, that <laughs> schmutz. I'm like, what is next to the Omen House on Instagram? Just a doggy stain. So um, so you have, you know, obviously August is always kind of an interesting month because of the anniversary. So yes. Um, and you were, we were talking earlier how people are still going up to, you know, the the area where it happens. since obviously the house has been pulled down and and just share a little bit about what it's like living in that way with all the sort of, uh, I don't know, gawkers, I guess, coming every <laughs> year. <laughs> living near it must be kind of intense. Well, it got kind of intense last year on the 50th anniversary. The neighbors that were directly next door to the Tate house and then the house next door to them decided to, uh, they were sick and tired of people driving up during the uh, the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, and its release. 
And uh, it, uh, they basically put up a couple of cars there to barricade anybody from going down and walking towards the gate, which I thought was just asinine because if you're in your house, you're in your house. You're not living in the front of your house. You're not living on the street watching what's going on in front of your house. And if it's happening, as I said to them, I said, you all knew where you bought your house. Mm. You all knew where you built your house. I said, that murder is history. And you, no matter what you think you can do, can't change it. You can't wish it away. You can't do anything to stop it. You can't erase the blood stain on that property. And knowing that, if you don't like it, you either do what I asked you to do 15, 16 years ago, which is put a gate at the bottom of the driveway and prohibit people from coming and having public access up here. And if you didn't do that, then stupidly acting like a bunch of whiny brats about the fact that these people are coming up here is your demise. It's never going to harm you if you put your car in a garage. Oh, you don't have a garage. You have a carport. Again, that's, again, your lack of forethought. You didn't put a car, you put a, you put a carport and didn't want to put a car in the garage. You're an idiot. It's your own fault. People have this funny thing about blaming others for not taking their own responsibility on the obvious. You knew where this location was. Mm-hmm. You knew that that was going to be there. You've lived here for how many years? And you didn't think that when his movie came out, that was high time for us to get a gate down there? Yeah. But you didn't want to do it, but you want the right to bitch. And you want the right to moan. It's like, yeah. I, I, I guess I knew when I built my house here that this was going to be part and parcel to, as my friend said, you buy a house near an airport, you better get used to the sound of planes flying overhead. And I said, yeah, you can't stop it. That's what's going to happen. To me, it's like I shake my head and go stay in your house when you know it's going to be high traffic time this anniversary. Don't go pissing in the wind and go, oh, I want a bitch on a moan. You want to raise your blood pressure up? You want to die of a freaking heart attack? You want to spurn that aneurysm on? Go right ahead. Because you're not doing any good except throwing a tantrum that no one really gives a hell about. And you look like a donkey doing it, going, who, who? And, and, and I'm looking going, what is this? You think there's something's going to change next year or the year after? I said, put the gate up and stop bitching. I was like, I mean, when I built my house, once I moved in, I said, you know, we should put a gate up. So once all the neighbors, most of them said yes, except one said, no, I'm not going to. It's like, well, if we all don't go on because we all live on this side of the gate, we got to have unified agreement right. that we're all in accord, in accord with. That makes sense. Well, Michael Didn't has happen. a, a so question when it happens, now. Michael has a question, I think. Yeah, not really a question, but um, more of an observation. Well, you have that if you have a question. More of of an observation that um, I think we need that from Canada. With people in Canada, have a beer and coffee. With people in the paranormal, I am a big group of people. You always get a couple of jerks. But by and large, I think they're some of the most respectful people that we've met. You know, Kristen and I have often said that. And I think when people go up to the gate, the first thing you have to realize is, like, like you said, the original host isn't there anymore. Time and, out, and time out, of... time out, time out, time out, time out. What assumption you just made on the paranormal and the people that go to the gate? Where did you come up with that that connection? What people well, that are going to the gate are not necessarily even remotely interested in the paranormal. Right, but let me let, let me finish my statement. Let me are... finish my statement. That All right, um, well, I, I think that um, from what I've observed when we've been at your house, and especially during the anniversary when people were coming up, is that 
you know, by and large, they weren't being all that obnoxious or disrespectful. They would drive up to the gate. They just kind of wanted to see it. Um, they would hang out maybe for a few minutes. A couple of people, I think, even felt connected to it in a sense that they would feel a sense of, of sadness for the victims or whatever it might be. And then they would get in their car and they would drive off. But it wasn't like that they were camping out and selling T-shirts or, or raiding the neighbors' homes to try and get souvenirs or anything. So for me, even though there was a lot of traffic, and, and I know people don't like that necessarily, but I wouldn't have thought, you know, I didn't see it as kind of a very unruly crowd that was going up there that was causing all kinds of chaos and problems for everyone. But you weren't here on the 50th anniversary after Quentin Tantuna's movie came out. Yeah, no, no, but uh, we've been there at other times too, though, when people have gone up. And as I said, I, I just right. don't think that they're too, too bad. And, and, and as I said, by and large, people that go to your home in particular, some of the people we've met there that, that in the past that are into the paranormal, just some of the nicest people that we've ever met, people like Rick McCollum, who's just a terrifically nice guy, and our friend Holly now, Lynn Bloom, that's been on our show a few times, and different people, and yourself right. included, you know, just really nice people. people. Them, but they're not the same people. I'm saying these the people that you've met here at my house that are in the paranormal, those people. The people that are coming up to go to the end of the driveway to take pictures of the gate are more likely than not people that are intrigued by the fascination with the Sharon Tate murders with Charles Manson, with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to see mm-hmm. the movie was shot. That's the difference that I'm trying to make to you, that the people you've met here are my are people that I know. That's not the same people that go to the end of the driveway that go to the tourists that are going up to the end of the gate. They're definitely less having to do with the paranormal. They're more of the gawkers, as Chris had mentioned, that are, you know, the uh, are the interested parties in the in the Helder Skeltimers or the death hags, as Scott Michael would say. Ooh, they're not really necessarily at all into the paranormal. Have they been more rowdy then than other people? No, no. I'm just saying that they're their interest and their motivation is not uh, the same as the people that you've met here at my house that, that are friends of mine that have you know been interested in the paranormal. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Totally different crowd. So, and I've met and interviewed people um, that have come up here that I'm driving up and said, excuse me, can I interview you for TMZ? Because TMZ said, look, if you want to interview the people that are coming up. So I have like 20 interviews with people in their cars before oh. COVID last year during the anniversary and stuff. And there's an, it's an interesting group of people that are coming up here, but very little having to do with the paranormal. So Mostly, like did, I you, said, um, did you do something with those interviews? This sounds really interesting. No, I didn't do anything with them. I still have them though, but I mean, I'll probably air them, you know, during the uh, event just to show people what the interest level is and what these people's curiosity was. Cause I said, so what do you, what brings you up here? And Oh, what's upon time? What did you think of the movie and stuff? And, one person was like, well, where's Cliff's house? Where's the driver that goes down? I said, that house doesn't exist on the street. I said, this is history. This is the real deal. So there's only two houses here during the murders. And sometimes I'll bring out the photographs of the lay of the land of the day of the murders to show the people that and stuff. And um, some people are like, no way. It's like, yeah, this is the real thing. And unfortunately, some people believe once upon a time in Hollywood is the real story. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about movies. And that's not really the movie's fault, though. Unless they say they're a documentary, we should always assume there's fiction in it. (laughs) It's a movie, (laughs) you know. But, you know, on the other hand, um, sometimes things are like a hook. And those people that are really interested will go and look at the documentary and they'll listen to what you have to tell them and they get the real information eventually. 
yeah, eventually they do understand and learn more about what the real story was. And then some people said, because I thought you still did. Like, no. Nope, her and her son are, are, are in the ground buried. And some people have said, oh, they, they took the baby out. And it's like, I've seen the pictures of the LA crime scene of the mor at the morgue of Sharon Tate during the autopsy, right before the autopsy. And she was quite in. She was quite pregnant. That and must have been horrific. Intact, and there was no anything of the sort of the baby being removed. That's a full-on lie. She had 16 stab wounds, which were a number of them to the stomach and, you know, to her breasts. And, you know, and then there's just a massive amount of um, defensive wounds, they call it, which are lacerations where you could see where she held her arms up like this to defend against being cut. And you can see from the upper arm from, and then continuing through the lower arm, just um, horrific, just horrific, you know, um, wounds and Abigail Folger with a slice of uh, defense, uh, just a laceration across her cheek where her cheek was literally like split wide open type of thing. It was just um, unbelievable. Um, that is so horrible. How did you get to see those, or why were you looking at the autopsies and the photos? Well, I forget, I forget. Um, you probably told me. But in two thousand and five, I decided to write the. Um, was it two thousand four? Jesus Christ! I think it was in two thousand four. I was writing the uh, <laughs> the book. Believe it or not, sometimes when people say it took me forever to write the the book. This is a testimony to that. I started this in 2004. And at the time, after I saw Jay Sebring in the middle of, of July in 2004, I decided to start seriously contemplating writing my story about my experiences here in the house at that point. And um, it was a daunting task. And I just started writing stuff down. I said, you know, I need to do research before I start writing anything more. And I said, well, let me go to the LAPD and see if I can see the pictures of the crime scene photos and see if there's anything there that ties my property in to the murders that took place 150 feet down the driveway. So I made the application. They said, you can come down. And I applied and I went, went through the process and they took me into a room and they brought in a file box, cardboard file box. And it was just littered. And it said, Tate LaBianca. And I start going through the pictures and I start to realize as I'm going through all these pictures, this is all of the LaBianca murders. Nothing to do with Tate at all. And I mean, I spent a couple of hours going through these photos, figuring, all right, this is LaBianca. It must be below somewhere and there's the Tate photos. Not a chance. And I mean, I saw every photograph from inside the house to them, to the photos of, of Lino on the floor with this rudimentary, you know, carving into his chest of W-A-R. And when I was looking at it, I could actually see how they were made. I mean, it wasn't like, the human chest is not one that is made for carving letters into. And what you saw was multiple slashes, lashing, you know, cuts, of the W and then again with the, you know, each part of the D of the W was done, you know, multiple, it was just, and then sticking out of his belly, I won't forget 
was a gosh darn carving fork. Oh. And then Lino, I mean, and then Rosemary on the side. It was just horrific. Oh. So I said after I was saying, I said, there's something wrong here. I said, I just spent two and a half, three hours looking at the photographs in the La Bianca crime scene. And, and, and this is nothing. I said, I was asking to see the tape. Oh, well, that must be, da, da, da. they found out. I said, oh, that's under lock and key. I said, what? And I said, but it says tape. Like, well, this is just La Bianca. The tape photos are apparently in the vault. I said, what? So they said, look, you'll have to fill out some more paperwork and we'll have to set up a time for you to come down and this and this and this. Michael, so do you did. have a comment about what we're talking? What? Michael, um, just a quick, I don't know if David saw or not, but um, one of the women that was involved in, in participating in it is up for parole again. The parole board, once again, has re recommended her release. And Newsom, yeah, New Newsom had vetoed it last year when it came up, but I noticed it's up again. So, so well, it's not the same one. You got to remember, there's more than one woman that was involved and one of them's already dead. So the three that are left, I mean, the two that are left are... Um, Patricia Krenwinkel and um, forgot Leslie Van Houten. Yeah, I think it's Van Houten that's up for parole again yeah, this year. Last year it was Krenwinkel who got denied and then mm. Van Houten. So, okay. you know, um, again, I don't want to spend any time talking about them. That's No, not let's go back to the, the photos. It's really fascinating. So I, I went back and they said, okay, you can come in. So they brought me upstairs and literally to the bowels, the, the center part of, of Parker Center, they took me through a couple of doors into a room, which was a, uh, what do you call it, a um, oh evidence process, an evidence room that was old evidence. And in this room, I'll never forget, is this old, and it looked like a movie prop, about a five foot tall by two and a half foot by two and a half foot di diameter old safe. And I mean, like, it's, 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 I'll never forget, it's green, all drab green colored, and it's got yellow, which was gold stencil or paint on it. And it looks like it's right out of the goddamn wild, wild west. Oh. I kid you not. And it's got one of those brass dials and this big brass handle like this. And I'm like, what the, so the guy goes over there, the cop goes over there and he opens the, you know, fiddles and opens it up, dials it in opens it up and I'm looking at it, it does look like a 19th century safe. And there's just boxes upon boxes of things that are stashed in there. And I'm like, what the, I can't imagine, like, like, the, like the king's treasure's in here. And he looks and he finds this box and it says Tate. And it's a bit larger than a shoe box. Like it was, it's, it's, it was probably about eight inches high by eight inches wide by probably about 16 inches deep. And he brings it up and he takes it and he goes and he says, officer, he sends he gets this other officer to go with me into this. And the same room we were in before, there's just a room. There's the cop and I am sitting at the chair and he's sitting on a stool watching me. And I can't take any pictures, whatever images I want to take to have reproductions of, I have to pull them out and then they have to fill out the paperwork. Then they have to have those set for approval. Mm. And that's the process to see if they can get access to the rights to. Because all I'm getting access to now is just to the files to see if there's anything that I think is worthwhile, what I'm looking for, that I can use. So I'm looking through, must have been about a thousand some odd photographs, both of the crime scene, of the morgue shots and stuff. And I mean, 
most of them are faded to the to the memories, but there's some that stick out, like I said, of Abigail Folger, of Sharon on the on the on the on the marble slab and just just things that I will never forget, period. Um, stuff like Abigail on the front lawn and Wojciech on the front lawn and, you know, just poor Wojciech on the slab with his head and just, you know, it's just stuff that I can just can't, can't ever separate in my life. But I also developed a certain amount of connectivity and a certain amount of deep respect for them and for what their last moments of life were like. And the fact that I only had known about them from what I read in Helter Skelter, <clears throat> which really made me feel like, you know, there's a lot more to these people's lives, that they were viable, whether or not I knew what their, their lives were like, that wasn't the point. That to take them out of the context of being a footnote to a tragic moment in history was, was had to be more than just that, that they were more than just corpses. So I started to say, you know, saying these people, you know, need respect and deserve respect. No matter what people say about them now, I will always maintain their integrity and their rights to live and not be slaughtered the way they were. And I've had people say, you know, Wojciech was dealing with co dealing cocaine to Manson. And I go, first of all, that doesn't make any sense. Manson wasn't doing coke. Manson wasn't dealing coke. I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Manson didn't fit the, uh, you know, the iconographic individual that was dealing coke in, in, in that era because it was such a high-end, high-end, very, very rare, exclusive type of a narcotic that I didn't see him being involved in it. But more importantly, that even if he did, why would that require him to be slaughtered the way he was? There's no excuse for it. Absolutely. The same for any of them. So we, I think we're winding down to two or three minutes, and I just wanted to see if there's anything last um, thing you wanted to say about the anniversary, about what's coming up um, for the audience. Uh, just in a nutshell, take a look at my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash David Omen. And I'll put that up for the audience to see there again. Get that out of the way. Yeah, much better. So there you can go, youtube.com forward slash David Omen to see the videos. Um, just go to cielodrive.com to see the, uh, the, to get your copy of the book. Yes. Um, other than that, theomenhouse.com, take a look there. There'll be tickets available come Saturday with any luck uh, for the event that should be here that, like I said, you guys will have an opportunity to experience the house more so than in any of the shows ever have covered here at the house. You will feel it. You will experience it. And um, it's, the next thing, nah, it's the next best thing to being here. And because we don't have those tours, this is pretty much the way it's going to be in the future to see and experience the Omen House. So by all means, please get your tickets, go see it. It'll be $10, including the ticket processing fee, which is like two and a half bucks. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it would be seven, seven and a half bucks, but still that's to cover the cost of the equipment we've got coming in, the camera people, the IT people that are gonna be here doing the switching. And like I said, to have the live chat room so you guys can ask questions. Speaking of questions, any questions out there, Michael? I think- No, we're good. No, no questions from anybody. All right. Other than that, the 50th first anniversary is coming up on the 8th and 9th of, excuse me, of August. And um, just my deepest condolences to them and their families, which there aren't very many of the families and relatives left. Mm -hmm. um, Abigail's parents have since passed. 
Um, Sharon's mother, father, and sister have passed away. The only family member of Sharon's is Deborah, who's left. Um, uh, Chase Sebring's got his nephew that I've I've liked to speak to and talk to, and mm. just you know, send my deepest condolences to him about his uncle, who um, I was privy to see in spirit here at the house. Well, thank you, David, so much. And please, everyone, here is his book. It really is a very interesting read. I, I highly recommend you get it and read it. I learned new things about it. So thank you again for being on the show, David. Again, Kristen, Michael, it's always a pleasure. And look forward to having you guys up here at the house in person as well. We look forward to seeing you too. So everyone, take care of yourselves, and we look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week. Thank you.